1 Samuel, I'm going to talk about admonitions for the days ahead. That's for next year, coming year. Just some thoughts from the pulpit for you about the year that is coming or the days ahead. As we look ahead, we also look back, and we have things that we compare things to. And we can compare this year with other years because we look back and see how things went. And we're looking ahead, not knowing what's out there, but looking to see God again do the wonderful things he's been doing for us for the last how many years you've been a Christian. And as you look back, you think about this year's turmoil. The economy, for example, was not good for a lot of people, but the offerings in our church were just only very slightly less this year than last year. And I know that a lot of you have had enough work, but not too much work, but you haven't gone broke either. And so even when things are bad a lot of places, we're still doing all right. We're not dependent upon the economy to make it anyway. God said he would take care of us. He always has. But you talk about 10% unemployment today, and this is shutting down, and that's shutting down, and houses have been foreclosed this year, and a lot of people have lost a lot of money, been robbed and deceived out of fortunes. And while they're just racking their brains, people are just in headache city. And here we are not caring about all of that stuff, not trying to do our life in this world by that means or that method or trying to be like the world and gain and so forth, just enjoying one day at a time. We're still intact. And I know that we look back, we've heard all these health scares, diseases, the H1N1 flu, and it's a pandemic, they say it's going to kill half the world. And uh, there's no hope and very little chance. And if you don't get vaccinated, whoops, don't use that vaccination or something wrong with it. But if you don't get vaccinated or somehow or get a shot, then boy, you're in trouble. And God has kept us. He's kept us here from all of that kind of stuff. But every year there's always something that the devil brings into this world that comes up and looms ahead. You know, I just read an email about the meat industry. And I know these things come out on a regular basis. How true all of this is, I don't know. But it was telling about that farmers, pork farmers in particular, because of the frequent illnesses of their animals, they give them antibiotic shots. I'm talking about the people that raise 100,000 pigs a year. The ones who supply the big markets, the supermarkets, the big stores, not the little farmer over here who sells 50 hogs a year, but the big people. And that the effect of all those antibiotics in those pigs, they're more and more resistant to antibiotics today. And so the sickness lasts longer. They put more into them. And this is often translated or often carried over and in consumption in the human body, they say. And consequently, it affects the immune system of humans, they say. I know that they give those animals a lot of hormones. They give chickens hormones so they grow faster from the birth to the marketplace, the amount of pounds raised in the shortest possible time translates into profit. And I know they give hormones to almost any animal that is edible or commercially bought and sold for food, anything that makes them grow faster. And then I've heard that these things get into human being system. Our children are maturing faster, men are aging more, and problems develop in this generation that wasn't in two generations ago, and they think maybe it's attributed to the chemicals and drugs and all the runoff of herbicides and insecticides and pesticides and all the stuff that you put on fields gets in the water, 
you can't get it all out and you ingest that and it produces this and produces that. You know, with all of that being forecast and all the fear that that brings to a lot of people, aren't you glad that you can refer to that verse that Jesus said will follow believers? That if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And nothing shall by any means, Psalm 91 says, nothing shall by any means harm them. But that's dependent on whether you believe it or not. And a lot of people are really worried and concerned about a lot of things in this world because, as I just said, the news media makes sure that you understand that everything's bad for you, nothing's good is going to happen to you, and tomorrow's headlines will be the terrorists have blown up something else, and you might be there, and you don't know what's going to happen. Woe is us. Because you read about terrorism. Eventually, it's going to come to our shores, I'm afraid, but people are concerned about terrorism and being blown up and poisoned and all of that. But remember, Jesus said that's not a thing you worry about. Didn't Jesus say, take no thought for your life? For your life. I mean, you live, don't you? Well, he said, your body is not what you worry about. You take care of it because you're a good steward over his possession. But you're not to worry about it. You pray for food, and you can eat it. All foods are made good. That's what he said. And we've given a wealth of food in this book here, a lot of wonderful promises that God has given to us that relieve us from the things that almost everybody is worried about. The more in the world that I talk to people, and that's not very much, everybody is so concerned about their health. They're just so concerned about it, worried about it. But we don't have to be. But it's there, and we look back and we see all these kind of things. And all the gloom and the war that's going on in two countries and the loss of life, which is tragic, and all the political hoopla that goes with what we're going to do about all of that. Just heard a man this morning infer, didn't say it, didn't disagree with it, about going to Washington, D.C. as a politician means you're confronted with all the lobbying groups with handfuls of money to buy your votes. And while a lot of young men go up there with great aspirations of serving their state or their community well, by the time they get there and you're wagging a million dollars in the face, just vote this way and you vote that way. And then we wonder why some of the drug companies are never dealt with because they bought all the lawmakers. That's what they say. I can't prove that, so I don't know that, but this is what I heard. But you know what? It doesn't matter to me who's up there. I don't care what they say, what they do, who's voting, who's not voting, who's a Democrat, who's a Republican, an Independent, or who is a Whig, you know, the Whig Party. God is in control. Now, as Christians, we pray about it. I pray because I know we have in the White House now one who seems to be in, really indifferent to God. And I pray that this man will not be able to do anything that would harm what God is doing in his church. That the young ones and new ones in here would not stumble because of anything that happens in high places. I don't care what laws they bring across there, health care and all that goes with that. And they don't know what's in it. And all the stuff that are going to bind votes, giving one lawmaker, what, $500 million to his state if he'll just vote? Now, I'm overdoing this, of course, but I think, man, oh, man. 
But that's the way the thing runs. Somebody said, well, where's the Constitution? Oh, I'm sure it's under a glass somewhere. It's in a museum somewhere. You can go see it if you want to go see it. But it's not that it operates today. One good thing I do like about the Constitution was that it is designed to protect people, number one, by having a strong government that watches over its people, provides safety and security from all opposition, domestic and foreign, and also has within it a set of checks and balances so that the Constitution is limited. People can't do just anything that they want to, but they're getting around that now, of course. So the Constitution is sort of like a storybook. You get to read about it, but you don't really get to see it operate much. But this is the way it's going on in the world. We've seen this this year, and we've seen all this stuff going on and all the troubles and all the problems, plus personal battles that you have throughout the year. You have to overcome this. Maybe it's a marriage struggle, a, a youngster struggle, or, or maybe it's a mental battle with something in your life, or maybe it's a physical battle none of us know about, and it's serious, and you're going through this, you're going through that, but you've made it. You say, well, it isn't over yet. No, it isn't, but you're still alive, too. And your youngster is still alive, and you and your wife are still alive, and everything that you really don't know how to deal with, while it's still there and can be dealt with, God has a way to enable you to deal with it. So that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on around you or within you, we have a reason to look forward to what's coming, to the following year. And I don't have any predictions about the Antichrist is going to be here in February the 5th or that a spaceship will come over us somewhere in Halley's Comet or whatever. But I'm just going to tell you that there are certain things in the Scripture that reassure us that we just remind ourselves of in the days ahead. Now, 1 Samuel 30. When we are faced with uncertainties, and you will be, that is, you don't know what to do, or your circumstances seem to be all-consuming, or you feel helpless facing what's looking at you. Here's what David did, we're told. You know the story about Ziklag, when he had gone, defeated the Philistines. They were completely wore out and completely exhausted. When they came back to camp, they found it burning, smoldering, their wives and children had been captured and taken. They knew they had because there were no dead bodies. And all their goods had been robbed. They'd been spoiled, that is, robbed. And their families were gone. And everybody was sort of having their hands on their knees, just completely wearied and wore out. And so it said in verse 6, this is what it says about that situation with David who led. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, chances are none of us will face anything this bad. Probably nothing like this, but it doesn't have to be on that scale to have as much pressure. I mean, you can have a little bit of a war with finances, and it could be to you as much as this was to him. But let me give you three words here. One, the word distress. David was greatly distressed. 
it indicates a state of anxiety or fear and frustration in many different situations. Now, we all know what that means. All of us do. All of us who are parents, all of us who are students, all of us who are just having to make decisions in our life know that sometimes it's not easy to do and you get real frustrated. Now, that's lying in front of us. He said that also the soul of all the people was grieved. It's a verb meaning to be bitter or to make bitter, to grieve. It has a sense of harshness, embitterment, offensiveness, affliction of a physical attack on someone. Very uncomfortable situation, obviously. All these men who had laid their lives down to follow David and following him had, it looked like, lost everything they had that was dear to them, their kids, their wives, as well as their goods. And the people were very grieved. And then it says of David, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That means a word that means to be strong or to strengthen or to be courageous or to overpower. The word can mean overpower. Listen to this. So David, realizing that he is the one that has to do something. You're the daddy, you have to do something. You're the mother, you have to do something. You're a student or you're a single person, but you've got to do something. There's nobody to blame this on, nobody to pass the buck to. It's between you and that situation and how God in that situation will enable you to handle this well. The only way to do that is the way David did. He didn't just lay down and cry and say, I don't know what to do. It's not my fault. You all didn't have to go with me. The Bible said David encouraged himself in the Lord. That means before you make a phone call, before you open your mouth, start crying and whining about your situation. You just draw back from the situation. And as David said, you begin to encourage yourself in the Lord. You overpower your feelings. You don't have to be dominated by fear. Fear is real. It comes. Even the Bible admits to fear. What time I am afraid, I will trust the Lord, Psalm 56 says. But you can overpower all the stuff the devil brings into your life because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't seem like he's always great. I mean, it seems like just a passage of Scripture that's in your mind, but it doesn't seem like a real entitlement or experience that you have to use and to, to overcome. But he said, David encouraged himself in the Lord, probably drew back and began to talk to himself. That's what I would think you would do. Come on now, David. This is no time to fall apart. God hasn't failed us here. There's something to all of this that we haven't seen yet. You're not going to serve God and lose. If there was something here, he would have told you about because God spoke to David. Now, let's see what we know here. Now, we know that God is for us and not against us. We know that you're the leader, that he raised you up, he anointed you, Samuel anointed you, and you're the one. Now, you've been run off from Jerusalem because of other circumstances. The only reason you didn't stay and fight is because you didn't want to shed the blood of your countrymen. You'd rather leave than fight your own people. So he left and let God take care of it. So, now you know he's taking care of it, and you're still intact, and your men are still here. Everybody's upset. Let's just be real still here. Let's get a hold of God. And the Bible gives a good ending here. Not everybody could go with them to fight these people because it said some were so exhausted 
that they couldn't even go on. But God gave the victory. So no matter what the circumstances you are facing, God gives you the victory. Listen to this. Ephesians 6, 10, for this coming year, as well as last year, but especially for this coming year. Be strong in the Lord. You'll need to be. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be one of those who can help others without needing to help yourself. Be one of those that can find an answer in your own life without having to ask everybody else what you think you ought to do. Be one of them. Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How about Romans 8.31? The verse ends this way. If God be for us, who can be against us? That doesn't mean you don't have troubles. Well, let me say it like this. That doesn't mean you won't have mental anguish because you've got to make a decision. It's your life. You've got to do something. You don't want to make the wrong one. Lord, I just want to know you will. You seek him, you will find him. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's going to be a wonderful verse of Scripture to hide in your heart for the Holy Spirit to use as a weapon. That's his sword. Isn't that the sword of the Spirit? Well, it's not your sword. It's his sword. Amen. It's your faith that activates it, but nothing there to activate if you don't hide it in your heart. You cannot recall a word that you have not hidden in your heart. You probably had it preached to you a number of times. You just didn't give the more earnest heed to it. So when the problem comes, you tend to look for somebody who has some answers because the answer God gave, you didn't keep it. Amen? Listen to me. I mean this. If anybody in the world should be strong, it should be you. It should be you. And the only reason we're not strong when we should be strong, that is, without falling apart and, oh God, or like David, the people who can encourage himself in the Lord, we should be able to do that because we've heard enough how to do that. And that God is for us and not against us. And we should not just collapse and under the weight of it all. Remember Psalm 56 and verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust you. Now, second thing is for guidance. Do we not need guidance? Turn to Psalm 32. Isn't that a wonderful psalm here? Verse 8 in particular. Psalms 32 and verse 8. This would be a good one for you to just underline, memorize, write down, magnetize it to your refrigerator. I will instruct thee. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Guide, the word guide means to counsel. It's the counsel of the Lord. You might say it's the advice that the Lord gives, but his counsel to us is not so much advice as it is a command. It is the way. There is no other way. But he said, I will instruct thee. Now, I prayed this. This is one of my prayers for doing what I'm doing. But it would apply as much for you doing what you're doing as it would for me doing what I'm doing because it applies to all of us. God said, I will instruct thee. 
What if we put it like this? I will make clear to you what I'm saying. So that it's not a vague thing you're hearing. So that it's not just a heady word, chock full of theological stuff that doesn't seem to have any application in my life. What if God says, I will make clear to you what I'm saying. It'll make it clear to you in such a way that you understand it. Remember Proverbs said, with all thy getting, get understanding. Because that's when it makes sense. That's when it's perceived and, and understood. With all thy getting, with all your racing from meeting to meeting and studying and chapter to chapter, with all you put whatever you're doing, make sure you get understanding. Make sure that this word follows into your heart and settles there until the light comes on. Because the entrance of his word gives light. Now, whatever entrance means, because it's more than hearing. Amen? Have y'all believe there's more to what the word entrance of thy word, there's more to what that means than just sitting in a meeting and hearing what it says. Because a lot of people who hear the word don't seem to have much light. But he said, I will instruct you. I will make clear, if you will listen to me, if you will give me your mind and your attention, you read Proverbs. If you will search for me as for a hid treasure, if you will long for me, and if you come with a hungry heart to where this is my passion, this is my love, as Jesus said, this is the most important thing in your life. So important is this that Jesus said to Martha, he said that Mary has chosen one thing that will never be taken from her because only one thing is necessary. Can you imagine from the lips of God in the human body saying only one thing is necessary? And that was giving heed to this word because once that word comes in and it reveals itself, it illumines, and you begin to understand it, your whole life changes. Everything that used to be an obstacle in your life is gone because it's been removed. Hatred, fear, anger, anxiety. This word comes in and you see what God is saying. And all the problems you had pale in the light of this because when you apply this word to your problems, they begin to go away. You're no longer afraid of being without a million dollars in your bank account. Or you're no longer afraid to drive a used car. Or you don't wrestle with what everybody thinks anymore. It's all about, am I pleasing God? Am I being content with what I got? Am I following after him? Am I walking in the way that he gives me? Because once he makes it clear and you start walking that way, everything changes. You don't have to be visited a lot. You don't have to be thought of a lot about what's wrong with him, what's wrong with her. Man, they've been coming here for 15 years and they seem like they still can't get it together. That won't be said of you. You won't be up and down and I'm in today and I'm out next week or I come to church twice a month. That won't be said of you because there's so much power. And you have to have it to understand this, but there's so much power when God's word becomes light in you and he illumines you and he makes you to know what he said and you perceive it and understand it. There's peace, joy, expectancy. Tomorrow, who cares? I mean, God is already in my tomorrows anyway. 
And he's given me hope today. Today might be the last day. And if it is, praise God. But I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. How we should function as a church. What kind of direction we ought to go as a body of believers. I will show you. Didn't he say this? Well, I'm not the only one he can instruct her, am I? How many of y'all have minds? Good, all of you. What a wonderful verse of Scripture. I will instruct thee and teach thee the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee, literally in the other translations, I will guide thee or counsel thee with my eye on thee. You're the focus of his attention. How can he do it with me and you both at the same time? Well, he's God. There's no problem. How about with 144,000 at once? Could he do that? He surely can. He surely can. And the wonderful thing about it is that when God instructs us and we're hungry for instruction and when he teaches us and we want to be taught, we will know what to do. We'll know what to do. I can't imagine anything better than this in this life. When God Almighty says, I will instruct you, I will teach you the way you're to go. And if you go the way God wants you to go, what does he say to you? Well, done, thou good and faithful servant. If you're going the way he shows you, you got to be faithful. He said, I will guide you with my eye on you. Now, of course, he sees us, and our whole life is this long to God, from babyhood or whenever it's over. But he says, I picked you from the foundation of the world, and at the right time in history, I sent the word to you, and you got saved. And since you got saved and I started good work in you, I'm going to complete this work until you're done. I'm going to guide you every step. I think that's marvelous for my guidance this coming year. So I say concerning that, Lord, in this body of believers here, I pray that you will instruct us and teach us the way we're supposed to go. How to go out and how we should come in. That is how to conduct our life in an appropriate, suitable, reasonable way that you want. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Why? That I may walk in thy truth. Can you imagine tonight how many people have no interest in being taught the word of God? That the little bit they know is, is enough. And that there is a wearisome boredom with trying to teach people who don't want to teach, and they won't sit still for that. A lot of churches announce the Sunday morning, the big meeting, and then they have the Sunday night. They call it either the evangelical night or the teaching night, and not even... 20% of the whole congregation shows up. How in the world, how in the world, if you have no interest in knowing more about what God has to say, how can we be guided in the right way in this life? At best, they can follow a system that man has made, or they have to follow a preacher whom they believe is right, because they don't know the word. You know how sad that is? I would say more about it than you probably would, but the whole thing will fail. All of it will fail. Because God's made it clear what he wants, and man has just proven himself as not really wanting to go that way.
I don't want to become a little student somewhere and have my little pencil and paper and a little Sunday meeting. I just want to go to church and have that vibrant feeling and be visited with the Lord during the service and just feel good about it. Well, we all want that. We all want that. But we're so destitute of knowing what's right and wrong as what God has to say about right and wrong that the only way we could ever know is to be taught. Somebody has to be interested in teaching and somebody has to be interested in being taught. Otherwise, we are saying to God that I'm not interested in what you have us to know. As a pastor, I say there's people who come occasionally to church. They don't want to know either. You can tell them it's all right. They don't want to know. If you want to know, you'll be here. Unless you're gone on vacation or out of town or something. You know what I mean. Thirdly, protection. How about our need for protection next year as we were protected this year? Let me tell you right off the bat, health care is not protection. The systems of man, when, if they pass that type of bill, is going to overload a lot of doctor's schedules and hospitals because people who normally couldn't go and couldn't afford to go are going to go for everything. And just like going through a checkout line at the McDonald's on a Wednesday night, one order taker, one fixer of orders, and 40 people waiting Going to the medical way for any kind of healing is going to be like standing in line for a long, long time. I'm not concerned about that because I have something better than that. And the government's going to try to force on people like us their way, and I don't know exactly yet how that will be worded and what the fine is. God will show us a way. Amen. But protection. Turn to Luke 13. Concerning you being protected by God. I know you know that God protects people. That God is willing to protect you. Don't you believe that? I know you do. That God is willing to protect you. Look, a verse that we hardly ever use for this. Luke 13 and verse 34. These are familiar words, but let me point out the protection aspect of it. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. Jesus said, How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Is it the desire here of Jesus? Did he not say that I would have gathered you in? I would have protected you? Just like a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings? She keeps them warm at night. She protects them during the day. Is he willing to do that? Then why isn't it done everywhere you go? Why isn't it done in a lot of people's lives or in a lot of churches? Why isn't it done? What's the verse end by saying? But you would not. We would say in protest, of course I would. You could say, you will not to. I can say, I will too. I want to know that I am divinely overshadowed by the Lord, that he willingly and lovingly protects me and covers me. Jesus said, I want to do that. He said, how often would I have gathered thy children? He said, but you would not. So if he's willing to do that, may he find me willing to gather there. 
and live under a divine protection from God. I mean divinely overshadowed by the Lord. We probably have Psalms that have something to do with this. Isn't there a Psalm that talks about this? 91st Psalm. I would have carried you and protected you. Look in three verses. Verse 3 and verse 7 and verse 10. Do you see where in verse 3, the first few words, he said, Surely he shall deliver thee. Surely emphasizes the deliverance. It doesn't say just he will deliver thee, but it says surely he will deliver thee. What's the condition? Verse 2, abiding under the shadow. Doesn't that sound like that mother hen and her brood? You know what? She didn't hide everybody under those wings. Listen to me. I mean, there's a parallel here. That was a secret place for those little chicks. Now, they didn't want to abide under that, and so they were out in the elements, and who knows what happened. It says here in verse 3, concerning the abiding under the shadow, he says, surely, because you do, he shall deliver you. Now, may God, in the year coming, should Jesus tarry, may he deliver us from all the designs of the devil against us. May every weapon formed against us fail. May every weapon formed in your home against you fail. May every outside attack of the enemy, which is designed to overthrow you, depress you, defeat you, overwhelm you, cause you to faint and give up, may it fail. May he deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence and so on. May we be delivered from it so that it never does have its full impact upon us. Verse 7, A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand. I don't know what that could be, but that could be an invasion. The Holy Spirit wrote this. And I'm not sure if David wrote this, if he fully understood this or what he was saying or not, but he wrote as the Spirit gave utterance. And he said, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand. He said, but it shall not come nigh or near thee. Isn't that good? So whatever disaster or ugly thing, and, and it's going to come. The bloodshed in the last days as depicted in Revelation supersedes any kind of bloodshed from the beginning of time. And World War II had millions and millions of people died. We talk about how many Hitler killed. I think more were killed by the Russians than anybody else. But all the people that died in the war and disease and the, the wounded, but there's nothing going to happen like the days that are coming when the wrath of God is poured out upon this world on the day of his vengeance or the day of the Lord comes and there's no escape. And God is going to judge the wicked in this world. But he said, A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but what? He said, It shall not come near you. Look at verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come near thy dwelling. Brown, Driver, and Briggs has a, a very exhaustive concordance and he defines Mr. Whoever Brown or Driver or Briggs, one of those, 
says this about the word plague. It means a stroke, like a blow, a plague, a disease, a mark, or a plague spot like leprosy. So it has to do with illness and disease and sickness, for which, generally speaking, for that for which there is no cure. No evil shall befall thee. No plague come nigh thy dwelling. Is that what it says? For concerning you, he will give his angels charge. Isn't that good? To think that God would single you out of all the mass of humanity that goes to church, for all the mass of humanity that reads the Bible, raises her hand, claps her hands, or speaks in tongues. There are those he singles out, particularly because of verse 1. Because of verse 1. That unique, passionate care about what God thinks of knowing him and walking with him. And living this life no matter what it costs. I'm not trying to be somebody, but just living for his pleasure. For his pleasure we were created. No evil shall befall you, and no plague will come near your dwelling. I can't make the devil do anything or stop whatever he's trying to do, but I do not have to receive whatever he tries to bring. And I trust the Lord. I hope you do too, but I mean we do. No evil shall befall us. No plague will come near this home. The blood of Jesus covers our home. The angels of the Lord are all around us to keep us in all of our ways. For concerning us, he said, God will give his angels charge. Can you imagine God speaking to his angels and say, Tom and Bonnie, day and night, all the time, watch them, especially him. There's nowhere I go. I'm never alone. I'm never without an answer, never without help or power because the greater one is always where we are. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Our Bible is rich. This is a treasure. We're just pointing out what we're going to hold on to for this year that is coming. Fourthly is our provisions. I know this year has been a rough year in a lot of ways for some of you more than the year before and the year before. But isn't it interesting, too, that God has given you enough, maybe it's a test, to teach you how to be content with what you got and just learn how to press in and believe for more. Nothing wrong with believing for more. In Philippians 4, 19, do you remember this? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me give you something to pray about, all of you, as much as I'm your pastor and you're the sheep. Pray that God will not only supply your needs abundantly this year, but abundantly enough that you have more than you need. That you have more than you need. There's three levels that you can live in this life. There's prosperity, sufficiency, and poverty. Poverty is not having enough. You need $50 worth of groceries, you have $40. Sufficiency is needing $50 worth of groceries and having $50. Prosperity is needing $50 worth of groceries and having $80. 
because the extra can also be used in some way to enhance your provisions. For example, for example, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 10, God said this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and watereth the earth and causes the earth to bring forth, that is, causes it to grow, so that it may give two things, bread to the eater and what else? Seed to the sower. Here's a picture, agricultural picture. God's word is like this. His word comes to the earth with effect. It is designed to do something. He doesn't send an aimless, indifferent word out. Everything that God speaks is designed to produce effect, everything. No word is empty of its power to reproduce itself. Let me say it one more time because I like it. Every word that God speaks, every word that he has sent to this earth for us is designed to do something. There is no word that God speaks that is void of power or empty, not a word. So that everything that God speaks, you can depend on, if you believe it, every word will do what it said. He said, now, it does this. The rain and the snow comes down from heaven. A picture of the word. The rain and the snow fall from heaven on the earth. And it loosens up the ground and the grass begins to grow and the wheat and the corn, everything begins to grow and the sunshine. And it's affected by heaven and it grows and becomes a nice big crop. And the reaper comes along and he reaps his corn or his wheat, whatever it is, soybeans, and let's say he gets a hundred bushels, just allow me, a hundred bushels. Now he knows that he's going to need some of that to plant next year. Amen? In other words, he doesn't want to eat all of his produce because he's got to plant some. He gets a nice crop. Now he knows that he's not going to eat everything he got. He's going to grind some of this wheat down in his corn. He's going to make him flour. He's going to make him some flour. And this is what he's going to feed his family with. But he can't use it all because what's some of it for? Given, that's right. It's for sowing. He wants another crop. The crop is what the word does. And listen, verse 11 says, What so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth? It shall not what? Return how? That means that it returns with something. It was sent with something, and if you send it back, it comes back with something. To God. But it shall do two things. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now look at me. Did God send his word from heaven to do something? Did he send the rain and the snow from heaven to do something? Then whatever it's designed to do, it does because God's word had purpose like the rain and snow has purpose. His purpose with the rain and the snow and the seed is twofold. You get to eat it and you get to sow it. If you eat it all, you got nothing left. You're living on sufficiency. If you have some to sow and you had a nice amount to eat, then you're prospering because you've got some extra that you can cause other people to receive. Now, I'm not talking about giving and offerings here. I'm talking about wherever it is, whatever it is, whether it's the needs in some other country, the needs of somebody in the community that got burned out or lost something or Maybe somebody you know needs a little help. 
at least you've got some extra to give. You ought to believe for extra. You ought to believe for some seed to sow for your provisions for next year. Boy, there's so many tight and stingy people in this world. Tight, stingy people are tight and stingy because of fear. That's why they're tight and stingy, because they're afraid they're going to lose it. They think that they had to earn it and work hard for it, and therefore they're going to do everything that they can to keep it because they're afraid somebody's going to steal it. We don't have that problem. It's not like that song, Oh, Let Me Go. But on the other hand, if God wants it, why should I not give it? Because a lot of times I like to give in the old days, and I couldn't give because I didn't have anything to give. One day, and this is true, I don't know when or where, but I remember one day I prayed that, Lord, I'd like to, to be blessed more than just enough so that I can have more than I need so I can give. I want to be a giver. I want to be able to help people. Even the girl who has two kids at home and a bad marriage and bills to pay is waiting on my table. I don't care if she's a Christian or not. She's a human being. She has a soul. She's got a problem. I like to help contribute to her needs. They say, boy, he's a good tipper. I'm not trying to be a good tipper. I had enough extra that I could give that much, and it was no big deal. Or the lady who cleaned up my room at the seminar to put some bill of some degree on my pillow every morning before I walked out of the room so she could have that. It's just a tip. She might need that. I'm glad I can do that because there was a time I couldn't do that. But I can now. There was a time, like Bonnie said, can we put cheese on our hamburger? We couldn't put cheese on our hamburgers at one time. We could put a pickle on there, but couldn't get much anything else on there. Proverbs 11:25 says, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Don't be concerned about the fat part. Because it's a figure of speech, spiritually speaking. The liberal soul, the giving person, the giver, the person who gives, shall be blessed with more than enough. He said he'll be watered well himself. Would you look in Proverbs 19, and we'll move on to number 5. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. Concerning those that we have often contributed to to help he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Does your Bible say that? Boy, let's hold on to that. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Lord, give me enough that I have more than I need so I can help. Or Psalms 41, blessed is he that considereth the poor. Psalm 41, verse 1, blessed is he that considereth the poor. Thinks about the poor, those who have less than you, those who cannot make ends meet, those who live in deficiency, never have enough. They were raised that way, they'll grow up that way, their children will be like that too. Until somebody teaches them that that's just nothing but the devil robbing you, robs your family, robs your ancestors. I went through this once. Robs your whole family. Your whole family tree has lived below what God had for you. Because nobody told them it could be different. They never taught. They were void of knowledge. And because there's a lack of knowledge, what happens? My people are destroyed. 
But he said, Blessed he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. That's good. The Lord will preserve him. That's good too. And keep him alive. That's really good. And he shall be blessed upon the earth in Shelbyville, Kentucky. That's really good. And thou shalt not deliver him into the will of the terrorists. That's really, really, really good. But that in the end of it, the Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. And if, if you have a problem, a physical thing comes your way and for a season gets a hold of you, God said, if you consider the poor, he will deliver you from it. Well, boy, let me get a whole bunch of that down my crawl. Amen. Number five, tomorrow's uncertainties. Look in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Concerning tomorrow's uncertainties, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let your manner of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Number six, his power, the power that God has, and the power that God has made available to us is with us. Doesn't the Bible say that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? All it takes to activate it, to make it work, come to play, is faith. Paul wrote these words in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. He said, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Did you know that faith is a work? That faith works? That when you have faith and you release your faith that it causes something to happen? That if you don't have faith in anything, nothing ever happens. Second Thessalonians 11. You don't have to turn to it, I just read it. The work of faith with power. Why is there a lack of power in a lot of people's lives? Because there's a lack of faith. Why is there a lack of faith? Could be a lot of reasons. Sin, unforgiveness, bitterness, not being clear, not being settled on the word of God. There's a lot of reasons people's faith isn't genuine. They want everything, they say they have faith, they want to be well. They want to be out of debt. They want to be healed. They want to be delivered, but they don't get it. They think what we're saying is cultish, that this really doesn't work. If it doesn't work, then this Bible's a lie because it's what he said. He said it would. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Peter made it clear in 1 Peter 5, 9, you resist him steadfast in faith, in the faith. The devil's not afraid of your words. Remember that time some men said to Jesus, he said, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the man in whom the demons were leaped upon these seven sons of Seba, whatever their names were, and sent them off streaking <laughs> naked. Of course, when the devil gets his nose under the tent, your clothes come off. That's just the way it works. And Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. There's power in that. Power and might, strength, but it all comes to pass only through the avenue of faith. 
Now, whatever is in front of us, whatever lies before us this year, like the Bible said, we're more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Let me leave you with this. Make it a point, at least somewhat occasionally, pray for your government. Pray for our government. We have senators in this state. We have several representatives. We have local governments, local people. The Bible says they're ministers to us for our good. Romans 13. They're not to be offended by us. We are to pray for them and to submit to whatever they do unless it makes us sin. And our president, as I said, and I may not agree with him, I don't have to. I pray for him. When Paul wrote to Timothy about obeying the rulers, Nero, one of the worst haters of the Jewish people ever, was the emperor. We prayed for him. This is how we can have the time of peace ourselves. We're not here to offend these people. We're not here to protest and get in their face and make them rise up and retaliate against us. We're here to do what we're doing, to get together and learn, to make disciples and prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, not change the political systems of this world. That's not ours to do. We're strangers and pilgrims in this world, not part of it. That's why I said, come out from among them and be separate. What fellowship does light have with darkness or the devil with God? What's the fellowship? Just pray for these people. Be nice and kind and helpful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And do all of those things. And then secondly is to pray for the direction of our church, the leadership here, which is me, and well as others. I'm not the only one that makes decisions. I ask for advice. Sometimes it's better than what I've thought, and that's what I do. I'll stand good for whatever decision is made, but sometimes I think some other people have a better idea about what to do than I do. But pray for us in the direction of our church. And let's not get antsy about anything. But let's just give God 24 hours a day to do with us whatever he wants. I can tell you this, there's a better place for us to meet than here. But until we get it, I'm quite happy to meet here. Old muddy parking lot or not. But he has something better. Now, when we begin to press in as a people toward that, if we make it a daily point to say, Lord, give us direction about where you want us to meet. If we're where you want us to be and you want us here till Jesus comes, then take away from us any desire or urge to pray. But if there's something more for us, something yet that's a part of your plan for us in this assembly that makes it all better for us and for your kingdom, Lord, show it to us. Amen. And if you had a little bit of problem this year with somebody, give it up. Give it up. Turn away from it. Forgive people. As they say, get over it. I don't like to hear people say it because they usually say, get over it. But get over all the things that, you know, what your failures this year, your wrongs this year, your weaknesses this year, your fainting spells spiritually, get over it. Don't quit. Just get back up, stand on your feet. And seek first the kingdom. And in closing, pray for wisdom to know how to live this life. To know how to live the Christian life. I'm going to leave you with two verses. I want you to turn to them in Proverbs. Proverbs 18 and Proverbs 19. Those two chapters. Proverbs 18, verse 15. Concerning wisdom, 
on how to please the Lord, how to walk with the Lord, how to apply his instruction. It takes wisdom. The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Are you one of them? Are you prudent? Are you wise and discerning? Chapter 19, verse 20. Verse 20, hear sermons, hear counsel. Is that what it said? Whether it comes from a pulpit or comes from a caring brother or sister, hear counsel and receive instruction. Why? So that in thy latter end, you may be wise. What is a wise man? A wise man takes into account all the things that are going on and he does what he's supposed to do the way God wants him to do it. That is a wise man. He does it God's way. He does it God's way. He digged down till he found the rock and he built his house on the rock. Amen. Now, I want you to close your Bible. I want you to join me and stand to your feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your people. You look upon the hearts and minds of all of those that are assembled here tonight. I pray that you would impact, refresh, reorient, give new hope, activate us. Whatever it takes, Lord, to put us individually as well as us corporately as a body of believers on the right track, the unity of the faith, seeking your approval with our lives and whatever we do or say. Our young folks, our teenagers, I pray there would be a, a stirring of your spirit in their lives, that they would have moral insight that they've never had before about living clean, of not being afraid of what people think, of not trying to be like the world for all of us. May grace and mercy follow us. May goodness and mercy follow us. May wisdom and knowledge follow us. Lord, as a song used to say, we used to sing many years ago, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. May that be our testimony, should you tarry one year from now, that we have climbed mountains, we have overcome, and we're steadfast. I ask it in Jesus' name. And all believers said, Amen. Amen.